Welcome to the Paradox PT Podcast, where we discuss all things physical therapy, rehabilitation, and clinical practice. I'm your host, Leo Felzon. Thank you, first of all, to all six of our listeners for tuning in today. For episode one, I'll be speaking with my co-host and good friend, Brandon Kemper. Before we get into the episode today, a bit of background about the name Paradox PT Podcast. Clinical practice is messy and, in my opinion, is full of paradoxes. Things that are true in one context or for one patient are, are not true in another or for a different patient. And any good physio will tell you that clinical practice is gray. It's There are no black and white truths and we can say very few things with 100% certainty in this field. Uh, the, the paradox within that, of course, is that any good clinician acknowledges that uncertainty but cuts through it to make decisions with conviction. Um, Oscar Wilde said that the way of paradoxes is the way of truth. To test reality, we must see it on the tightrope. When the verities become acrobats, then we can judge them, which I think sums it up pretty well. So to you know, to acknowledge paradox, in my opinion, is to to straddle contradictory beliefs, attitudes, feelings at, at the same time without making binary distinctions and planting your flag firmly in one camp. So hopefully, this show can reflect the the humble spirit of the paradox and the messiness of clinical practice. So we figured for our first episode, we would start well within our domain of expertise. We want to make sure, or sorry, we want to make clear that as new grads, we're not shouting from the rooftops, telling people what we're doing. We don't want this to seem preachy at all because we're learning, you know, this is just going to be an outlet for us to figure stuff out. So in this episode, we reflect on what we wish we knew going to physio school. What advice would we give ourselves prior to uh, starting school? Hopefully this has a couple of pearls that might be useful for uh, current physio students or for people who haven't quite got there yet but are considering it. As this is our first episode, I'll give a bit of background on who we are and why we're doing this podcast. Brandon and I met in 2013 at a place called SJ Willis Continuing Education Center, which is basically a place that people who didn't apply themselves in high school go to upgrade their grades before going to university. We slogged through our high school sciences together and went on to complete our undergrad degrees at the University of Victoria, both doing a combined major in biology and psychology. Ultimately, our paths converged professionally but diverged geographically when we both made it into physiotherapy school, Brandon at UBC and me at uh, the University of Toronto. I graduated in 2020 and have now been practicing for 14 months at a private orthopedic clinic on the west end of the city. Brandon graduated in 2021 and has been practicing for about four weeks at two private practice orthopedic clinics on the coast of Vancouver Island. These days, Brandon and I live on opposite sides of the country and are both stupidly busy. So one of the big motivations to do this podcast was just to have a reason to stay connected and to talk shop, which we both love doing. Beyond that, anyone who knows me will tell you that I love talking about physio stuff. There's nothing I enjoy more than chatting about the ins and outs of clinical practice. I just find this job endlessly fascinating and frustrating and rewarding and confusing. It's a roller coaster that keeps you constantly uh, on your toes. I find myself getting in the weeds on a daily basis um, on physio topics all the time with my coworkers, my friends, my my girlfriend and my family when they'll listen. So honestly, I figured I'd make a podcast so at least my rants seem a bit more situationally appropriate. And to do it with Brandon just made sense because he's always been someone who's pushed me personally and, 
and intellectually to be my best. And I think creating a, a formal platform to keep us connected as we both grow as clinicians is really uh, worthwhile. So for me, the goal of this podcast is to provide a platform that forces us to articulate our clinical frameworks, challenge our biases, stay current on the research, and interview people way smarter and more experienced than us so we can keep getting better. As always, it was a blast talking to Brandon, and I hope you guys enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brandon Kemper about what advice we would give our younger selves before physio school. I figured we'd kind of start off with our first episode, staying in our lane, so to speak, talking about what we wish we knew before going into physio school. So there's obviously a lot of, of PT podcasts out there where you've got really expert master level clinicians talking about clinical practice. And I just want to be clear that we're not preaching from the mountaintops. We're trying to humbly stay where we feel we have some competence and kind of log our experience. So what better way to start than talking about what we wish we knew going into PT school, what advice we'd give our younger selves. So yeah, let's get into it. I'll, maybe I'll ask you to lead us off with the first point. What would you tell a, uh, I guess two years ago now, Brandon, who was just about to start PT school? I think um, the biggest lesson to learn, I think the biggest lesson I learned early on that made my experience um, go from to start not the greatest to a far bit better would be to, to no longer compete for grades, especially with your colleagues. I think that um, especially in Canada, uh, I'm not sure about other parts of the world, but it's so competitive to get into to get into the master's program, um, and, and you you are primed throughout your undergraduate's degree at uh, competing with everybody and trying to get ahead. Um, and then once you're into the program, it is it, the sooner that you can get rid of that competitive nature and move from competitiveness to just collaboration, uh, the easier time that you're going to have. Um, and, and there's a multitude of reasons for that that we'll talk about, I'm sure, later later in this podcast. Um, but I think that that is a very important lesson to learn to learn right away is to, to make friends, to share information, and, and to treat people as your team, uh, and that you are not the only one trying to, to survive the program. So with uh, kind of letting that obsession with grades go, what do you think are the most important things to focus on um, instead of that? I think... To focus on, you know, because the mere, for me, the material at the start wasn't fascinating. You know, you learn a lot about gate aids and you kind of go into cardiorespiratory. So I wasn't so into the material. I think the biggest thing to focus on at the start would to be find a way to read a lot of the material, but not focus on every single little point because there's just far too many of them and you just become overwhelmed quickly. Um... And, and to not worry about the amount of data that they're going to give you, to try to develop a, a good understanding, a general understanding of what they want from you, uh, and, and then do your best with that framework, opposed to needing to, to memorize every single point. And like I said, shoot, shooting for 95% on tests. It's just, it's far less feasible, I think. Yep, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, one of the things that I would say I've learned over a year of practice is that who you are almost matters more than what you know when it comes to giving advice to clients and it uh, I think it's as important to work on becoming somebody people are willing to take advice from than uh, it is to work on what advice to give you obviously have to know your basics and you have to know what you're doing but um, 
just developing as a human being while you're in school, focusing on building relationships, focusing on networking with professors, with clinicians who come in from the community, and um, just building a bit of a personality and some life experience is going to be way more beneficial than, like you said, focusing on going from that 85% to a 95%. Um, so yeah, that's that's one that's one shift that I definitely realized is the people who came in a little bit more mature definitely had a, an easier time transitioning into the clinical environment, whereas there were a lot of kids that got 95s but just didn't have that conviction with which they gave advice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. I think one big thing too, even just with respect to the grades, is you in your undergraduate degree that you're used to being at the top of your class, right? And, then, and you're also used to not really trusting other people's information. But then when you go into in Canada, you know, it's almost like this this titrated. Um, they just they, they titrate to the, the top errors and the top performers of each you know, uh, of each university, and, and you're now kind of sitting beside people who are probably even smarter than you, you know, so it's a very humbling experience just to see uh, how intelligent people can be, and what I found is you can trust a, f a lot more people in, in, in your master's program than I could in my undergraduate degree. Um, they, they do quite a good job of, of weeding out the people who can't intellectually be there. Um, and then like what you said, right, well, there's a spectrum to that. It's like, you know, you're, you have these people who are so intellectual that they're, they're not really transitioning well into, into the clinical uh, realm. And then you kind of have the opposite, where you have uh, people who aren't super intellectual, but they're transitioning quite easily into the, into the clinical realm. And, and then you kind of have the average of, of both, which is, I think, a, a nice place to start. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, <clears throat> kind of jumping off from that, one of the things that I was really um, anxious about all the way through physio school was feeling like I had to have it all figured out the first time I learned something and feeling like I had to I had to learn everything perfectly the first go um, and, and that gave me a lot of anxiety gave me a lot of just a sense that I wasn't where I needed to be like I, I you'd learn a topic and you'd still feel like there was so much more to learn and you didn't have it all figured out so one thing I would go back and tell myself is that right now, like you're, you're just stacking bricks, you know, you're, you don't know what you don't know. And everybody starts out in any new profession at that, at that point where you're just literally learning the building blocks. And if you just focus on stacking each individual brick perfectly, then in a year or two years or five years, you'll come out with a really beautiful kind of structure of knowledge. Whereas if you're, if you're just wasting time being so anxious that you don't have this beautiful cohesive framework, um, you're not going to get any further than you would otherwise, but you're going to be a lot more stressed out. Totally, totally. And, and I thought coming into the, the program, I... I I tried to apply my previous, what would you call it, flow. I, you know, when you, you get into like, like, like just this, this routine of studying in a specific way that you found successful, I couldn't really find a specific method in my master's program because, and I think that it part and parcel is because of just the amount of information that they provide you. Um, so, you know, for myself, I was a big, I like to print off every single lecture note and then uh, go rewrite every single word that they would say. And, you know, you just can't do that when, you're, you're getting the amount of information that you are in the master's program. Well, maybe you can, but you're not going to sleep, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So what about you, Lee? What would you say is your, one of your, your, your first and foremost? Points. Points. <laughs> <laughs> um, wasn't sure if you were going to finish that one off. Or... I didn't think I was going to either. Yeah. No, you know, listen, I think one, one thing is um, I felt like when I got into physio school, 
I had a bit of a background in personal training, in strength conditioning, and I felt like I knew a lot. And the one thing I would caution myself against is, is I, I would just warn myself that you're gonna you're gonna ride the roller coaster of having your belief system shattered like <laughs> every week or two. Yeah. You, you like you, you you might go into school with this mentality about when you think about low back pain where it's all about spinal stability and then you learn some manual therapy techniques and then it's all about manual therapy and then you learn you know some pain neuroscience education and then it's all about that and i think what i would would tell myself is to have an open mind and to learn all these different principles um well no more so learn the systems well but have an an open framework with which you can slot these different systems into um and understand the common threads that kind of unite the different things that you're learning. So stay humble. Don't have your your guardrails up so you're not letting new information in because you think you know what's right. Um, I think often we have this ego about what we what our current belief system is. For me, starting school, it was all like, oh, the McGill Big Three. You know, if everybody with back pain just did bird dogs, dead bugs, and and side planks and curl ups, you know, we. Uh, um, wouldn't have any more back pain, but you learn that it's it's a lot more complicated, and there's a lot of different roads that lead to Rome. Um, but I would have saved myself a lot of stress if I just had a more open mind and realized that the people that I was learning from had been where I was and had kind of weaved through all these different systems and and gone down the rabbit holes and come back up. And they actually have a lot to teach you. Totally, it's a big leap of faith, right? And Again, I, I, I kind of had the same experience where I was always looking for a formula to apply, you know, like if, if you had uh, this positive test or this positive special test or, you know, like uh, this joint cluster, uh, and then that would equal out to some sort of uh, rehab protocol that would bring you out of pain. And No two people are alike. Um, and a common response I would always get from, from my instructors was, well, you know, it depends. You know, I would hear that. It depends. It depends. And I... You know, everything that I would ever ask always depended on something else, and there was no clear-cut formula for me to apply, right? And, and to surrender to the ambiguity a little bit of what it means to be a physio, I think, is important, and I'm still navigating that, too, to this day, because, you know, you, you want a, a sure-cut formula to, to bring to your patients to, to improve their function, to bring them out of pain, and yeah. maybe we will find it, or maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe it'll always depend. Well, okay, so that's also a big pet peeve of mine. The, I, I feel like obviously everything depends on something, right? <laughs> uh, but I think it's a it's a big cop out yep. when you ask somebody. Oh well, you know, they say, oh, I don't know. Like, when when would I use this technique on the shoulder, or when would I use this exercise? Like, well, it depends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, well, that doesn't help me very much. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I would also advise physio students to grill your teachers and your clinical instructors on what it depends on. Yeah. Because they'll often just tell you it depends because they don't, they haven't clearly articulated the framework that guides their decision making. They know it depends on something, yeah. but their clinical prediction rules are almost like in, unconscious. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you don't get to the bottom of some of those rabbit holes, mm -hmm. you'll drive yourself insane um, and you'll, you'll have these these unanswered questions 
that will make you go crazy. So I would say don't let your profs off that easy. Like make them answer what it depends on. Yeah. And if they can't, what does that tell you? <laughs> it is true. It is true. Um, I, I mean, it wouldn't really solve though that you know there are no two people are alike. You know, and if you have had a framework that you applied to, like I said, low back pain, or even our flexion extension protocols, or something that works previously, and all of a sudden it doesn't work for this next one, but they have similar presentation. You think, well, why? Why is that? You know, and it's like, well, do we know? Yeah, no, and listen, I, I totally agree. Um, and there's many different approaches that are going to work. And sometimes it's hard to clearly articulate when the approaches work best, right? And a lot of times we are making educated guesses. But I think forcing people who have been practicing clinically for a long time to at least tell you where, like, what is guiding their decision making. Yeah. Because when you're working clinically, you do arrive at a crossroads. You know, let's say a movement hurts you either avoid that movement, you modify that movement, or you expose into that movement. Some clinicians are going to avoid, some clinicians are going to expose, some clinicians are going to modify. Yep. Like, what is guiding that decision? Yep. Um, having somebody articulate their framework can really help you understand, okay, like, even if they two clinicians would do different things, or two approaches could work, why do those two approaches work? What what are the common threads uniting those those two things? Yeah. And then you can develop, I feel like, a deeper understanding of maybe why some of the things you do work, even if it's not for the reasons that you previously thought. Does that make any sense? It totally does. And like you say, you're keeping them accountable, right? And then that's, and that's the biggest thing, right? And then we should always be in pursuit of the why, right? We should never say, well, you know, it actually doesn't matter because there's all this ambiguity out there. Uh, but I think that with respects to test taking and even just learning the material, I don't think there's ever a situation where there's always the perfect right answer. You yeah. know, and I always, in, in physics, right, you would either get it wrong or you'd get it right. When I started taking tests in physio school, it'd be like, well, you know, that one makes sense, but so does this one. And like, oh, that could work too, you know? So there was this, there was this overarching sense that there are multiple right conclusions. Uh, yeah. and, and like you said, an all, a different, different means to an end. Yeah, and, and I think... <clears throat> To piggyback off that point, one thing that I didn't do such a good job on was um, approaching clinicians who practice differently than I thought was right with, um, with respect. Like I would, I would be quick to judge people who used interventions that I didn't agree with. Um, when I think in retrospect, it would be more beneficial to look at what those clinicians do well um, and to see that there are a lot of different ways to to treat people and to get results people get good results with manual therapy people get good results with exercise people get good results with education people get good results even with modalities in some circumstances right like and it's important to not be very very slow to criticize clinicians who practice differently than you think is is philosophically optimal or, or most evidence-based um, because you're a student you know what I mean you haven't seen what they've seen and I think you, what you do, what you have to do, is straddle the paradox of of being having an open mind, but then also being ruthlessly skeptical. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you got to know your place. You got to come from a point of humility and saying, "Okay, I haven't really treated patients yet, so who am I to tell this person who's been practicing for ten years that their approach is wrong?" It's true. But at the same time, hey, like I read this meta analysis on this technique which you use, which has no evidence behind it. Can we discuss that? Yep. But approaching it from the standpoint of, okay, there's obviously a lot of gray area here. How can we maybe kind of move together with them as opposed to being very 
combative. Yeah. And, th- and that's part of the reason that I wanted to call this podcast Paradox PT Podcast is because we know that clinical life is gray and there aren't a lot of black and whites and we're often kind of straddling the paradox of of working with humans where it's never a black and white answer. It's it's always it's always gray. So kind of approaching that with a spirit of humility and curiosity rather than a fixed mindset where you where, where you you just hold yourself within a certain belief system on one side of the fence and then move to another side of the fence um, back and forth and back and forth I think that's a much more helpful way to go about it so totally and you know near I'm sure you've had conversations with your professors who you know you even the whole modality aspect or or some sort of different approach and it's like well you know I, I read this paper that says that oh that's kind of BS and and then you know they usually turn around and say to you, oh, you know, well, I, you know, I've seen it for the last ten years, and I've seen it work. I've seen it with my eyes. You know, people come in in pain, they leave here in less pain. Like, and you know, and then how do you how do you argue with that? Like, what would you, what would you say to that? It's more of this anecdotal. I, I know it to be true because I can see it with my eyes. Yeah. No. And listen, I, I think what I how I would be approaching that is thinking, well, okay, people get read better for a lot of reasons. So for me, the most interesting question to ask is irrespective of what the intervention was, why did it work? Why did my strengthening intervention help? Why did that person's manual therapy intervention help? Why did that modality help? We know that there's so many different mechanisms behind recovery that I think questioning that therapist on why they think it, it helps would be the, the approach I would take because then in that in that, in that circumstance you can find the again you can find what unites the different interventions you know um, therapeutic alliance uh, you know there's there's all these common ingredients of good physiotherapy independent of what the um, the the intervention actually is so it's tricky though because listen I've seen people who only practice with exercise who get great results I've seen people who only practice with manual therapy who get great results. I've seen people who do virtual consults where it's all hands-off education and who get great results. And what that leads me to think is that, listen, there are actually many ways to skin a cat. (laughs) There are many roads to roam. And that shouldn't lead you towards a sort of nihilism, but instead it should lead you towards a kind of an an optimism to say there are actually lots of different ways to help people. And so I have options and I can be agile in how I transition from a different approach depending on what the patient in front of me wants, depending on how my experience leads me to believe they'll respond. It's totally true. It's a big, big negotiation, you know, and like I keep saying, like, like the biggest thing I think about physio is, is you're, you're constantly negotiating with yourself as a clinician, with the person sitting in front of you, with the tools that you have in your tool belt, uh, and as well as like the pathology that they're presenting with you, you know, and the fact that your student, but not only that, is a future healthcare professional, is like you're in no position to put yourself in specific camps quite yet. And, even you, Lee, like practicing for over a year, and me now for going on what, my fifth week. <laughs> I'm in, we're in no position to be saying one is superior than the other, and I'm, I'm only going to do X. I'm only going to do Y, um, because you don't. I don't think you'll. Maybe you will know one day. But as of right now, like you said, there are many ways to get results, and the best type of physio is the physio that's predicated around you and you only, right? And I think that's if if you have a PT who will only do to do one method um, for everybody, then it's probably not the best PT in the world. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know the, the best clinicians that I see, people who've been practicing for twenty years, thirty years, are so humble mm-hmm. about their interventions. Um, you see a lot of people who 
maybe have been out for a year or two and they get super, super confident and arrogant about their approach being the best. And uh, it just doesn't come off well. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, And I think it it creates these sorts of rifts online and on social media. People go back and forth and they kind of attach their identity Mm -hmm. to the way they treat. Whereas like at the end of the day, we're in the business of just helping humans. And however we do that, um, I think a lot of like, as long as your heart's in the right place and you're, you're trying to practice with best evidence, we don't have good enough data to say that this is the one way to treat people. Yeah. You should run away from the musts and the must nots. You know, like, I don't think that. I guess there's specifics, you know, but you know. Yeah, yeah, it depends, a, right? Somebody's got caught up yeah, on that, you yeah, know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but you know. Yeah. I, I well, and say, okay, so I, I, I did Greg Lehman's course this year, Reconciling Biomechanics with Pain Science. And he starts off the course by asking the question, when do you need to be specific? Which is so fascinating to kind of ponder. We could do a whole episode on that, honestly. Um, when When is it okay to have a non-specific approach? When would... When could you just address X, Y, or Z? Or when do you need to do X? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So we, we always have to be thinking in the back of our minds, what kind of case is this? Yeah. And that's where it's an art, man. It's an art as much as it is science, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, Brian, let me ask you a question. Okay. What do you wish you'd paid more attention to in school? Oh, um, honest to God, cardiorespiratory and cardiac rehab. And the only reason I say that is because a lot of it showed up on my national exam. Um, <laughs> I also wish, with that being said, I, I wish I would have made a lexicon of uh, even just keywords. You know what I mean? Like like definitions. Like I had a lot of interesting definitions that I kind of can be interpreted multiple like a multitude of different ways and even just easy ones like angina like define what angina is you know because for me like it showed up on the national exam it's like you know you know like the sharp shooting pain pressure through the chest you know what i mean or was it like sharp shooting pain down left arm or right. it, you know what i mean like there's there's a specific uh definition to what angina is and i always kind of brushed over these um <laughs> these these words um so i think i i should have created a lexicon i should have paid a little bit more attention to cardiorespiratory um um and I think I shouldn't have paid so much attention to, and again, this is strictly for me, uh, we should do a podcast about this of the National Exam in Canada, but um, I, I went down a big rabbit hole when we studied um, neuroanatomy of, of um, like a blood vessel pathways and what, what, what specific cerebral artery will innervate which part and the exact path. And it was useless waste of my time. So um, yeah, I, I think that... Paying attention to common pathologies, or even when your classmates do those presentations where you each have to pick a certain pathology, even like colon cancer. And I asked, like, listening there, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a physical therapist. Like, why am I learning about colon cancer? But you know what? It, it, it pops up so much throughout your, your master's degree, and, and especially during the during the national exam. That I, I shouldn't have just darted around these pathologies. I think, well, that physio's not really going to treat that, so I don't have to think about that too much, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's get down to the MSK stuff, things that I can actually treat physically, and I think that was a bit of a disservice to myself. Um, uh, what would you say? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, on that note, I would say I've seen things this year that I didn't expect to see. Like, I saw a patient with uh, cervical arterial um dysfunction right and I so I didn't really was I that dialed in on the likelihood ratios of certain clusters of tests for the vertebral artery insufficiency Um, it's the kind of thing where you don't expect to see it and so you learn it but you don't dial it in like you would learning how to treat like you know special tests for tennis elbow or something like that Um, I would say 
knowing how to screen red flags is like the most important thing you can do in school because if nothing else as a new grad your initial assessment should be ruling out red flags and figuring out if you're the right person for this person to be seeing yeah. Yeah. above all else do no harm yeah, exactly totally. so totally. you know in my first year i've seen somebody who ended up having who presented with back pain but who ended up having stage four bone cancer um, who I sent for imaging because it wasn't making sense. Yeah. I saw somebody who I sent to emergency who with, with signs of uh, called Aquinas syndrome. I saw somebody with who ended up having a vertebral artery insufficiency. Like these things pop up yep. and you don't expect to see them very often. But it's a, it's a different beast when somebody is sitting in front of you and you actually have to make the decision of, hey, you got to go to emergency right now or do you call 911 or do you tell them to go to their GP? Like all these decision matrices. Um, and if you don't understand like the statistics around um, some of these clusters of tests or, or signs and symptoms, you, you're kind of like you, you're left not knowing what to do and not being able to help this person. And there's no worse feeling than that. So um, if you can learn it in school and avoid having to tell somebody, hey, I'm going to go check my laptop. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to save yourself a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, and, and on that note, none of that's helpful if you don't understand stats. Learn your bloody stats. <laughs> Specificity and sensitivity. Spin and snout. Yeah. Knowing how to rule something in versus rule something out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no shade at U of T. It was a great education. But we didn't really go through statistics to the degree that I think I needed clinically to be able to make sense of how to properly assess somebody. Um, knowing the difference between a test that can screen something, meaning rule it out, versus a test that can rule something in, just makes you so much more efficient. Um, if you don't understand that, like a test is only as useful as your understanding of its diagnostic validity. Um, so 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 pay attention to the stats when you watch those physio tutor videos mm -hmm. and they say you know in the year 2015 <laughs> Cohen et al. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out physio tutors. Yep. Pay attention. Even make a little document where you're for each joint what the the most recent literature has shown each test to uh, how how it performs relative to a gold standard or or, or diagnostic standard because otherwise you're just shooting blind, man. It's true. It is. True. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Fantastic way to put it. Um, what else here, man? Well, what do you think? I, I think one 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 uh, one thing that I wish I would have done prior to physio school is. Uh, figure out a good way to have all the data collection you know like again they i don't know if this was mutually exclusive to ubc but the amount of material that they threw at you was absolutely overwhelming and i think that i, I tried many methods you know one was like you know downloading the uh, the lecture slide pdfs and every uh, research article they send you in the textbooks um and then downloading them and saving them into file folders and then you know you run in a room there and it's 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 not a fluid experience so then you download you know microsoft office you start using OneNote, and then all of a sudden you, you know you get you know, through a semester now my one note memory is ca at capacity <laughs> and, and now like i don't have a a good place for all of my data storage and not only that but a system to access it quickly uh, and just um, to increase the fluidity of it um and even know that you, you have all this material accepting the fact that you're probably not going to look at all of it and then being okay with that yeah 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 no i would agree i started using um evernote and that was a life changer for me. <laughs> um, just having everything in one place. Because like you, I had things in just just on my computer, on my desktop. And then I went to OneNote. And then I tried kind of Google. And then, 
just figuring out something that works for you where you, ha you, you can easily access. Oh, I want to find Mark Laszlet's paper on SIJ diagnostic accuracy. Where do I look? Yep. If I have like seven different places where I have all my materials. Um, I had one colleague who made a new file folder for every single um, outcome measure that we ever learned about or used in physio school. And he, he, he put it in such a way that was uh, uh, body specific. So he has a folder that, you know, that's just like, kind of like, like, like say cervical spine or even like shoulder up, you know, or, or, or upper extremity, lower extremity. Um, and then every, uh, every part of that folder would be, you know, joint clusters for that specific area, special tests, common pathologies, and then outcome measures that you can use. And, yeah. and I thought that was, you know, that, that'd be pretty helpful because there's times in clinic too that I, I come apart with somebody that's saying, oh, you know, I'd like to be able to measure this. Like, what's the best way of doing that? And instead of trying to go figure it out, you know, you already have it there because the schools do a good job of giving you all of these outcome measures for free. Yeah. Um, so sorting them, and I was, I was never. You know, paying enough attention to really think, oh, I, I should save the, I should save the dash, or you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, uh, yeah. So I think looking back now, like clinically, that would be helpful. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. Um, yeah. What do you think? There's one one more thing that, I, and this is speculative because I don't actually know this to be true, but right now too, if a lot of people, uh, you know, they gain student loans and you know you have to pay that off and this and that. If there's I think a lot of people who have some savings or who are paying with student loans and they might want to go into private practice. I'm trying to, again, this is hindsight being 2020. I didn't do this and I don't actually know if it'll work. And it would probably change depending on where you're listening, if it's a different province or if it's a different country. But like if you could, if you know that you want to go into private practice, I think it'd be interesting to talk to an accountant to start a business before you go into physio school. And if there's a way of paying for your education through your business, you, you can pay it back through your business and collect that as a loss, especially initially as you uh, start making money in the private industry. And I look at now, personally, I have my student loan and I'm, I'm practicing now in a sole proprietorship and I, I can't write off anything but the interest of my student loan. And I think, well, how interesting would it be if my, my company could have paid for my student loan, right? Because if you make 50, they say you make 50 grand your first year uh, as, a, as a private practice physio and $50,000 student loan, you've actually made zero. Right, because your yeah. company is paying for your education, and your company does have an interest in you being educated, right? Because <laughs> what's the company without you? That's true. You know, so and again, I don't know if that'll work completely, but it was a thought that I had that man, if I could do that, if I go back in time, I would have. I wonder how many uh, physiotherapy students have ever done that. <laughs> I don't know if any. I don't know. You're and a trailblazer, Brian. Acquire equipment too. You know, you buy yeah. a buy some buy some equipment. You know, like why not? Or along the way. Well, you know, so you're one thing that's that just came to my head when you were saying that on the more practical side of things is understand that your relationships with your classmates will probably be how you get a job. Mm. So in my in my case, where I had my last placement, um, I was able to get a, a close friend a, a job there or they used me kind of as a reference. I got my job through a friend who had his placement elsewhere. Um, who you know, it really matters mm -hmm. for, for finding the right position for you after you graduate and so it, it sounds funny but because like you you see your classmates just as friends but they're going to be colleagues very soon and if you present yourself as somebody who knows what they're doing and who's diligent and who's detail oriented and who you would want to work with yeah. that's going to be the, the the fast track to getting a great job and you know if you show yourself as as somebody who's lazy and who takes shortcuts and who cheats and yeah whatever it may be, um, like it's a very small community 
even, you know, for example, in our year, we had clinicians come in to our clinical labs and there'd be some students who would kind of like sleep on the plinths during lab and, you know, just show kind of a, a level of disinterest yeah. where, you know, that you never know who, if the person helping you is a clinic owner of the place you want to work. Yeah, totally true. You know what I mean, you got to treat all your interactions as a professional, yeah. even when you're in school. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's hard to kind of maintain that level of uh, professionalism as a student, but you better get used to it because when you come out, like every interaction you have with a clinician is, it, it really matters for your reputation and how you perceive in the community. And Absolutely. And that's what I, it brings you back to your first point, you know, just going about all of your interactions with your professors with a sort of curiosity and not a sort of, uh, I don't think that you're right, so I'm not going to, I'm not even going to entertain what you're saying, right? Like you, and that's part about being humble, right? Like just, just enjoy the feeling of not knowing anything and just be curious to, to anybody who's willing to teach you something because you don't know what you're going to pick up along the way. And there's a lot of hocus pocus that you learn, I think, that sometimes you think, well, when am I ever going to do rib springing? It seems just insane. You know what I mean? But like, just approach it with a little bit of wonder and then, you know, who knows where that's going to bring you, you know? And, yeah. Um, and I think that it's funny because we started out with cardiospiratory and I didn't actually even know that that was a part of physical therapy. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know Same here. I, mean? I was so confused. And they did such a good job. I honestly, leaving school, I thought, what am I most competent in? It's probably like chest physio. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's quite funny. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think just approach it with a bit of wonder, take a leap of faith and uh, just ride the wave. Um, and, and yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's a beautiful thing to be kind of a blank canvas. As you start to practice, you develop these biases, which make it harder to learn new things. So it's a it's it's a it's a real privilege to be a beginner at yeah. something and to uh, to be able to kind of build a knowledge framework. And the the best way to do that is to, like Brandon said, approach it with humility and curiosity, and ask the right questions, and um, you know bring a skeptical lens, but but don't be closed off. And if you do that. You're right where you need to be. Absolutely. What a fan fantastic way to end it, I think. Yeah, that's, that closes the loop. That's a lovely that's a lovely way. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got nothing else to add that kinda does it. I think I think that's I think that's it. That does it for me. Um, yeah, beautiful. So I guess in, in going forward this podcast is gonna is gonna try to it's gonna be a lot of different things. It's gonna be us approaching topics we're interested in learning about. And discussing them and challenging each other and forcing ourselves to to sound mild, mildly coherent <laughs> and maybe it'll turn into interviewing some clinicians who actually know what they're doing yeah um and yeah we're gonna try to put one out about once a month and see where it goes so uh yeah until next time signing off until then until then